Welcome to the Gospel Revealed Podcast. My name is Michael, your host and teacher. Here at the Gospel Revealed Podcast, we teach the Bible for what it is, and that is for you to know God and His Word. As a result, you will grow in your faith. We are still on the series on the Gospel of Mark, and today we are going to look at the verses in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. We're going to see Jesus appointing 12 ordinary men. We'll see the reason why did he choose them and the task at hand. So let's go over to the message. If you've got a big vision to change or impact the world, how would you go about it? What sort of people would you select to be part of your team? For me, I will have a plan and a well-researched document. And I will select highly talented, ambitious individuals who have proven themselves time and time and again. That's what I will do. And maybe that will be the case for you as well. But Jesus is different. He did it differently. He chose the most unlikely group of people and used the simplest plan to impact the world and to fulfill his eternal plan. The result is the most influential movement, which is the New Testament church. It comprises of people from all nations on earth. Today, we continue our series on Mark's gospel, and we're still at chapter three. We're going to be looking at um, from verse 13 to 19. So let me read the verses. He says, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonaris, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealous. So Jesus had a plan. He had an eternal plan. And this is an incredible plan. It's only now that we are seeing what he was up to. And so as we've read in these verses, we see Jesus appointing some men. He did this after a night of praying to the father. He communed with the father. The other gospel tells us this. So the question is, who are these 12 men? Well, these group of men are the most diverse and extraordinary bunch of guys. In that, in this group, you have a nationalist and a tax collector. If you take those two guys, Simon the Zealous and Matthew is also Levi. So a tax collector and a zealous in one group. 
So a zealous, Simon the Zealous is someone that was a nationalist. They were strongly against the Roman occupation and they will do anything to get rid of them. They will give their life for that. And there's been a number of uprising in the past. And so Simon the Zealous is such a passionate person that is against the oppressive Roman Empire. But then when you take Matthew the tax collector, he is seen as a, a, a traitor. He's a Jewish person that, is, that was working for the Roman government. They collect taxes for the oppressors. But not only that, they add on top of the taxes they are asked by the Romans to collect from the people. And these are poor people. And so they are the worst of the worst. And they see them as traitors and they mingle with Gentiles who are Romans. And they are conniving with them. So they are the worst of people. And that's why the account of Matthew, when Jesus Christ went to his house, the time he became a believer, the people, and especially the Pharisees, they were totally disgusted at that. And so these are the people Jesus have in his group. They're so diverse. They will never hang out together. But he had Simon the Zealous and the tax collector. But also notice that Matthew... As a tax collector, possibly he was a tax collector for the fishermen. And remember that we have four fishermen there at least. You have Simon and Andrew, the brothers, and James and John. And so if Matthew, who is Levi, was a tax collector, then I don't think they would like him very much. And these are the guys that Jesus had together, a diverse group. Those whom he desired and he sovereignly called. It is a picture of what he was trying to do. In the church today, you will find all sorts of people. You mingle with people that you will never be friends with. And Jesus called these guys. They are not the most educated guys. They are actually folks who are down in their society at that time. But this was his plan. He called these 12 men to be with him. So why did Jesus choose 12? Why 12, not 15 or 20 or less or more? The reason why is Jesus was building a new nation and a people. Remember in the Old Testament, Israel had 12 tribes and they were a nation. But that was the old order. Jesus has come. He's doing something new and he's got a new plan. He's got a new nation. And this was God's eternal plan. And these 12 guys represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Not that they all came from the various 12 tribes from Israel. It's just that the 12 was a symbol of a new nation. 12 also is a symbol of government. But there is, here's an interesting fact. Remember the 12 tribes of Israel Jacob's 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, he had his son Simeon, I think he was his second son, and you've got Levi, who was the priest, and then Judah, who had the, the kingship. And his lineage, you have David, and through Judah, we have Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus had three names of disciples 
that corresponds with those names. So Simeon will be Simon Peter and Simon the Zealous. I think that's how it's pronounced, Simeon. And then Matthew is Levi and Judah, which corresponds with Judas. And there were two Judases. Unfortunately, it was Judas who betrayed Jesus. So Jesus called these men and he called 12 men. So why did he do that? There were three reasons. We're going to look at them one by one. So firstly, that they might be with Jesus. These men were a close unit of friends and fellowship of Jesus. Jesus in his humanity needed them. Man shall not live alone. God has created us for community. And Jesus needed these guys for them to be with him. Even though he's God, but also he's fully man. But ultimately, these guys needed Jesus to know him intimately and to be taught by him. They were able to observe and learn from Jesus closely. They would have known that Jesus was sinless. And what a great experience to know that Jesus is holy, is without sin and They've never experienced him sinning. Rather, they just see him living a perfect life. That must have been really strange. But what a great experience to have. They had this intimacy with Jesus. Also, Jesus taught them as they were exposed to his life and ministry. They were in training to take up a great task as Jesus' special officers. John, who was one of them in his first epistles, verses chapter 1, 3 to 4, it says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The Apostle John confirmed the intimate relationship they had with Jesus and through their apostolic writing and with the Holy Spirit, we can have intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the word of God and through the word and his spirit, we can know Christ intimately. Let us be like Mary and sit at his feet and learn, observe and drink of his spirit. Jesus once visited Mary and Martha's house. Martha was busy doing practical things, but Mary sat at the feet of the Lord, of our Lord, of Jesus, and she received. And when Martha complained, Jesus said to her that he was worried about lots of things, but Mary has chosen the right thing. And so let's be like Mary and sit at his feet intimately, Bible study, commune with God. John also tells us in John chapter 15, verse 4, that whole chapter is amazing, but let me just speak verse 4. It says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You can study that, what that means to abide in Christ. Another translation says, remain. That is that, that is having an intimate relationship through his word. 
and prayer and obedience and trust, thinking about him, renewing your mind, deep study of God's word, and you will grow in him and you will have intimate relationship with him and the spirit will illuminate your hearts and you will see the glory of Christ and you will know him just like the apostles did. So they, they might be with Jesus, but also that they might preach. These ordinary 12 men are appointed to an extraordinary office. These 12 men are apostles of Christ. And later in Mark 6, 7, we're going to look at that at some point. He sent them in twos and gave them authority to preach. It's important that we know that these men and their office was unique. It's not something that we have today. Those who are apostles of Christ have been with him. They've known him intimately and he appointed them. That office is closed. There isn't any apostles today. And I know there are so many self-proclaimed apostles, but there's nothing like that today that we have apostles with us. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Apostles perform signs and wonders like Jesus to authenticate the gospel message. We see that in the gospel and in the book of Acts. When they performed what they performed was unique to them and Jesus and not normative for all believers. They were, they were not only to preach for that time, only to Israel, but to take the message to the ends of the earth. What we have is a great commission, but the office of the apostle was different. And so there are other um, factors that confirmed that people are apostles. One of them that they must have seen Jesus. They must have seen the resurrected Christ and he appointed them. And they also do things just like how Jesus did it. We see after Jesus' ascension, on the day of Pentecost, God came by his spirit. People spoke in languages and we see the mystery of that. We see how God called people from different tribe and language to be together and to be part of the church. And on that day, Peter preached the inaugural sermon that started the New Testament church. The apostles are the foundations of the church and have a unique office. And we are given the role to shape the church with writings, with writing scriptures and still shaping the church today through their writings. So when you read the epistles, these are the writings of the apostles who were directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. To, to teach infallibly. That's also what it is to be an apostle. You teach infallibly. You're directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. When you give a command, like what's written in the New Testament, these are commands from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 20, 21 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So they are called to preach. But also, ministers, pastors are called to preach. In one sense as well, every Christian is called to preach the gospel. 
But ministers who have the office of a pastors, men called to that office, should preach the word of God, the word of Christ with accuracy, accuracy and they should rightly handle the word of God. If, if, if truly Christ gives you the authority to preach his word, then it should be the truth as contained in the word of God. God authored his word. And so you should preach it as how it is contained in scripture. Not half-truths, but the word of God. If it's half-truths, the spirit will not bring glory to Christ. It has to be the truth. And so let's preach the word of God. So we can know Christ intimately and we can preach the word of God. And those who are called to preach should preach it rightly. And even any believer should know his word of God. If you know Christ intimately, you will know his heart and you will speak of him well. And thirdly, they are called to have authority over demons. Jesus uniquely gave his apostles the authority to cast out demons. Question, is this for all is this for all Christians for all time to cast out demons? The answer, what I strongly believe that the Bible teaches, is no. There is nowhere in the New Testament Christians are commanded to cast out demons. We only see this in the Gospels and the Book of Acts, and only done by Jesus and his apostles. That's another thing. You'll notice. In the Gospels that Jesus, that the demons, sorry, were antagonistic towards Jesus. As they identified Jesus as the son of God and they were prevalent at that time of Jesus. And we see how Jesus often silenced them and he dealt with them with so much authority. And I'm not saying that they are not demonic activities. Of course there is. But we're going to look at how we as Christians should deal with it. One of the verses in the New Testament, James says this, how we should deal with it. It's, it's basically for us to submit to God. But also to note that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So you see, that's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. And, in, and he has achieved that for us. And he's the one that's got the authority to cast out demons. And he gave that same authority to his apostles, not to all believers. I'm going to prove that to you. Jesus showed his authority over dark forces. And they are dark forces today. I'm not denying that. Of course, I do believe in that. So how do we deal with dark forces? James 4, 7 tells us, submit yourself Therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Simple, nothing mystical. And let me point out also that we don't have the authority to cast out demons. 
and we shouldn't even directly do that. The Bible strongly warned that. It actually says in Jude that if you do that, it is a sign of a false teacher. So Jude 1, 9, this is an interesting account. It says, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, it did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like, unreasoning animals understand instinctively. So here, the archangel Michael, even when he was dealing with the devil, didn't rebuke the devil. It says, the Lord rebuke you. And you got to remember that angels are slightly higher beings than us. But then Michael didn't take the authority because it, what the Bible says that if I take the authority, speaking directly to the devil is blasphemous. So we deal with spiritual warfare differently. Paul tells us how to deal with it. Put on the full whole armor of God. Ephesians 6. And if you read verses 10 to 18, it will give you this. So how do we fight spiritual warfare? It's about us taking our ground against the devil and his minions. It's nothing mystical. This is what we do. Paul mentioned the belt of truth. That is knowing and living truth. Doing that dismisses the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies. And we see the airwaves is in charge of the media and all these things. And it would take ground in Christian mindset. And that's why we should renew our mind and not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing our mind with the word of God. Also the breastplate of righteousness. And this righteousness is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that protects our standing before God. It's something that doesn't change. God sees our righteousness just as Christ is righteousness. And then he also speaks about the gospel of peace. The gospel is what makes peace between God and man. We were once enemies with God, but through the gospel, through Christ, we have peace with God and the peace of God and the devil hates people. And so if you want to preach a gospel, like let's say maybe people want to plant a church, you will see there is a lot of pushback, but truth always prevails against the devil and then Paul also mentioned the shield of faith the shield of faith protects us from the arrows from the devil we should look to our founder and perfecter of our faith this faith is not something we muster up it's the object of our faith which is Christ which is God who is stronger and mightier the helmet of our salvation Christ achieved our salvation and we have this salvation. And the schemes of the devil will be something such as false teachings and lies. Even from the Garden of Eden, it was false teaching from the devil that deceived Eve. And that's what also the devil tried on Christ in the wilderness. And so we need to know our word and reject false teaching. It's a strong warning in the Bible. We should be protected by the word of God. Christians should know and believe sound doctrine so that they can discern the lies of the devil. Then we have the only offensive 
weapon here, the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit for the weapon of our warfare. The word of God is so important for us to know. And the word of God is also the sword of the spirit. What that tells me is that the word and the spirit goes together. It's the perfect word of God that the Holy Spirit brings glory to and he makes it into a weapon. It's not half truths or some kind of truth or lies that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to. And then he goes on to say, praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit is not praying in tongues. Praying in the spirit is meaning praying the will and the word of God. That's what it means here. That's what it means to pray in the spirit. So this is how we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil and will free from us. We put on the whole full hammer of God. It's a massive teaching where one could do several talks on it. But this is just a sort of a snapshot of what it is we should do as New Testament believers to fight spiritual warfare. Everything is a spiritual warfare. Your marriage is a spiritual warfare in the sense that husband and wife should be the godly husband and wife they should be and so forth and so on. And so that's how we should resist the devil. So the 12 men were given this authority, but it's not for us to be with Jesus, to preach and authority over demons. So in conclusion, the ordinary men chosen by our Lord Jesus changed the world and are never forgotten. Forgotten. This is how Jesus began his plan. In closing, J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors, and the first bishop of Liverpool. It says this about these verses. It says, The names of a few Jewish fishermen are known and loved by millions of by millions all over the globe, while the names of many kings and rich men are lost and forgotten. It is they who do good to souls who are had in everlasting remembrance. That is so good, and that's true. Let me give you a closing verse, Psalm 112, verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved, he will be remembered forever. So Christ has called us to be righteous and to live for his glory. And it's the most simple way he went about his plan. And up to now he's doing it. He's calling the most unlikely people. He saves us, but then he calls us to live a righteous life and to serve him faithfully. But he has appointed these men to be the foundation of the church. And we should listen to their teachings through the word of God as prescribed for us. Christ came to save us. And we are thankful for what he has done for us. God, we thank you that You've called us, you've saved us, you've rescued us. And because of your goodness, when we are yet sinners, you died for us and give us the peace with God and the peace of God. I pray that you bless whoever is listening and watch in this, that you draw them if they don't know you and they will come 
to know the God of the universe. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you have been blessed by it. You found it helpful. If you have any questions, please email the gospel revealed podcast at gmail.com. That is the gospel revealed podcast at gmail.com. Also, just to let you know that we've started a new website that is the gospel revealed.com. It's the gospel revealed.com. There you'll find gospel-centered, rich theological articles for you to grow in your faith. Please sign up to that. You can subscribe to that and check it out as well. Can I encourage you to please share this podcast, but also subscribe to it so that other people will hear the gospel message and they will be able to know God's word. As a result, they'll grow in their faith. Thanks for listening. Until the next time. Bye.